0: Hiya, and welcome to this Central Committee broadcast. This week, I've been writing a mid term report for the Central Committee, which reflects the last six months and what the next six months might involve now we're halfway through our term. Each member of the Central Committee wrote a self criticism and responded to each other's, and I've been writing this summary, which will go to the membership. You'll get that hopefully next week ahead of our scrutiny session on Sunday, uh, the 3rd of April at 6 pm. This week, Sean and I will be chatting about the local election strategy. Before then, I'll hand over to Angel and Sean for the news.
1: Hello Sean. Um, as we speak, uh, I believe Madeleine Albright's body is getting colder. Uh, any thoughts? So, now dead at 84 years old, uh,
2: Madeleine Albright, I won't fucking mourn her, uh, you shouldn't either. Uh, she was the uh, first ever woman Secretary of State under Bill Clinton uh, for his administration through, uh, 97 through to 2001. Prior to that, she was uh, the United States Ambassador to the United Nations, uh, and, uh, since that time has become just the kind of person that a lot of these, like, girl boss feminist people have passed around. They always put her name next to, like, Hillary's name in those types of lists that you're, uh, tired of reading, um but yeah she has died um March twenty-third, just there, as I said, aged eighty-four. Um and she is not fucking missed. Very famous quote from her uh, way back in the in the mid-90s, uh right before she took her um Secretary of State role, actually, she did say that the the half a million children killed in Iraq by US was worth it. Um she uh, was a, a big uh, profiteer uh, from the uh, the Yugoslav the breakup of Yugoslavia and all the the wars that followed it. Um, she made a lot of money through that. She had a big strong uh, interest in uh, allowing that to happen, as well as being just like a horrible horrible racist towards uh, Serbs in general. So she's um, probably a bit about you know, playing a both sides of money and getting rid of a people group that she doesn't really like.
1: Relevant to the current um Ukrainian crisis, uh, she was like a an important figure in like articulating that there could be no diminution of NATO even after the sort of nominal end of the Cold War with the the collapse of the Soviet bloc. Um. So you know part, partly her influence that continual expansion of um, of NATO up to the Russian border she was a an, an American an avowed American supremacist you know believing in in America having these uh, sort of unique I believe god-given characteristics that qualified it for leadership of, of the of the world um she was a, a key figure in the the coup at the UN against the um, candidate uh, who was the, the then returning General Secretary Boutros uh, Boutros-Ghali, um, who was supported by the, the non-aligned movement, um, and instead um, sort of secured Kofi Annan. Yeah, so
2: we don't, we're we not going to need to think about Madeleine Albright again for a long, long time. She is going to burn slowly in hell. Um, another Nazi say, I'm very happy to be rid of. Um, but again, I just do wish it happened to them earlier. It happened to them more painfully and more violently. Um, but this is this is where we're at. There's no one, no one left to uh, hold these people accountable, so they just pass away of old age, and we just need to deal with it. Anyway, on to better news. Angel comrades. What did Rishi come out and delight the British public with uh, today, uh, this beautiful, beautiful spring right before the clocks change?
1: So the new um, new spring statement budget, um, immediately there's the cost of living crisis being pinned on the Ukrainian situation, um, runaway inflation pinned on the Ukrainian situation, fuel bills pinned on the Ukrainian situation. Um, like Putin mentioned by name quite a few times in the statement itself as being personally responsible for why everyone in Britain is getting poorer. Um, it's obviously nonsense, this inflation was happening before then, the increase in the price of gas was happening before then, um, all, like, all of these things are, are long established and are a product of the same crisis of capitalism um, that we've been seeing key things um from the budget no uh, relief at all on energy bills there's no uh reduction in like fuel duties on um on like gas bills or electricity um so there's a number of other measures in the budget there's some like tweaks to national insurance um, tweaks to like the rate at which universal credit tapers off when you're earning money that like, look like you're gonna be getting more, but it's all coming right back to the government in the form of the, the, the no change in the proportion that they are taxing your energy bill, which is more than doubling, uh, which means the tax income on the energy bill is more than doubling. So, you know, there's been a couple changes. Your national insurance threshold's going up slightly, so the point at which you're paying national insurance has gone up. There's a 1% cut in the basic rate of income tax um but that's not until 2024 um so if you can hold off 3 years before getting a 1% tax cut then you know lucky you there is a 1 year uh, reduction 5p per liter on petrol and diesel um it's obviously less than the price of fuel is going up by and like when it comes to things that like um taxis buses um Diesel trains, which are are still a, a big proportion of the train stock in Britain, um, like all of those are going to be passed on to you with ticket prices, um, so there's no no five p off your, off your bus fare and like that. They've got a whole bunch of like like fairly significant tax relief for businesses. So that this argument that they're putting out that they just sort of like plainly are just sticking the middle finger up at you because they're saying, oh yeah, there's no room in the budget, you know, we can't possibly help anyone with anything at all. Um, in some senses, they're right, you know, like they're, they're trying to stave off a, a like a, a capitalist economic crash, like they do have to squeeze you and give it to the, the capitalists, but like the notion that they are doing it as this like detached rational economic measure rather than uh, conscious carrying out um, of class war is really the, the the bullshit that you're being sold. Sean, I saw a beautiful picket sign that said "Pooh Ferries." Do you have any comment?
2: P and O, the boats that you'll you'll definitely have seen if you uh, are about down in the in the south uh, of England, P and O, that the the Dover-Calais line, uh, as well as a few other places, p uh, uh, announced that they were getting rid of all uh, of their crew members, uh, around 800 people, uh, and they were replacing them all. Uh, so notably, uh, that's not a redundancy, first of all, um, because uh, the, for it to be a redundancy, the job has to no longer exist. The job still exists. They're going to other people. So it's not a redundancy. So redundancy pay is not going to be uh, uh really a thing here uh, under our current legal system. And um, two, uh, this is not fire and rehire because they are not uh rehiring the same people. Uh, they are rehiring other people, but it's technically not a fire and rehire. You know, uh, this is just an outright uh firing. This is just getting rid of the um the the crew that they already had uh, who were. Uh, unionised under RMT and Matillas International. Um, The crew that they are bringing in to replace them uh, are uh, agency staff, uh, mostly from uh, the Indian subcontinent. So the the staff that are being brought in to to replace uh, the ferry crews, um, the agency is only going to be paying them um, $2.38 an hour uh which is uh the equivalent of under two pounds an hour. Um which I mean we need to sell that uh to to what you know usually a salary would have been on uh, on these boats. Uh that's some of the starkest exploitation uh I've I've seen in a long, long time. With these new workers as well coming in and working for an agency, the the unions that exist on these boats, RMT, uh aren't necessarily going to be in the same position. Because uh, P and O might have recognised RMT, but these workers don't work for P and O. These workers work for an agency, um, so it would require the agency having to recognise uh, the RMT union uh, for the RMT to actually get back in. So not only is this a, an absolute like, disgusting act of like um, like cutting the wages, like really, really maximising the profits as much as they can, it's essentially a union bust. As well, like they are completely shutting out the union that existed from from getting into to deal with this situation uh, in an effective way, because really all that they really all that they can do right now is they can rely on the fact that their former members were um were their uh, for, sorry former employees now are their members, but really they need to just go on uh, public goodwill. At this point, they detect, they don't have much of legal right um just now except for. Uh, going through a tribunal process, but that takes years and years and years.
1: Can you explain, like, how it is that the minimum wage does not apply to these contract workers? The fun thing about boats, right? Um, P and O ferries operate in the
2: UK. Nothing else really needs to be done in the UK. Uh, you can flag those boats to belong to any country in the world that will take them. And most countries, do I? Don't I can't think of any country in the world that would say no. When you flag a boat uh, to a certain nation and it's accepted and it's registered there that's where its port is, um, you go by the laws of that country. So boats in the UK only need to pay UK minimum wage and only need to um, be bound by UK laws if they are boats that technically belong to the UK regardless of the fact that they operate entirely within you know, between, in this case they operate between the UK and France but like obviously P&O is a technically a British company. Um uh, and PO have always been very, very close to uh the British government. The government did know uh, um that this was coming. Uh they knew the day before. Um they they are kinda giving out uh, li- little tidbits that like oh like Boris says oh he thinks it was illegal and such like that, blah blah blah. But he's uh he's not he's not really getting in and doing anything about it. Um, the RMT is uh, doing their best. Uh, they've had uh, sh- b- uh, people out protesting uh, at Pier Ryan, at Liverpool, at uh, I believe Hull and Dover as well. Being on any penal um, boat uh, that still operates technically, um, technically does make you a scab. I hate to say if you've got any uh, any tickets bought so far, but maybe reconsider actually getting on uh, that boat. Uh, and just, yeah, um, more t- all, all support to the, the people that were uh, dropped like that, because that's, that's one of the most horrible ways to go. Uh, as far as I've heard, it was a, a pre-recorded video shown to them over Zoom. So, yeah, what else is I say?
0: Thank you, comrades. Now I'm joined by Sean to talk about our strategy for the local elections coming up in May. Hey, Sean, how are you? Hi, comrades. I'm doing good, thank you. We have you on today to talk about local elections and specifically our local election strategy and campaign um, that we are implementing in a whole bunch of different branches across the party.
2: Yeah, I have been. I've been part of this as part of Glasgow branch. It's been it's been interesting so far. How about you give us a little little catch up uh, as to where we are right now with the with the campaign?
0: So. The campaign and its sort of overall goals, um, is to try and engage with the the momentum and the kind of political energy that's produced by, um, really any election. Um, local elections are not the, the juiciest, but they will have, um, some prominence as a sort of midterm election, um, a slight referendum on the various leaders and so on. Um, and really our our pitch in this is that no matter who wins any one election. For a council or indeed the sort of overall elections, um, it's it's not gonna make a difference to working in people um who have to organize, you know, via community organizing, via union organizing, via um communist organizing ultimately, um, in order to to fight for revolution and liberation. Um so our goals, like as as we've written them down, as we are we've articulated them, are positioning red fight back, the communist movement and community organizing as an at worst viable and at best necessary way to oppose the bourgeois parties, Um, looking to utilise this opportunity to build and expand and consolidate our presence um, in our key geographic areas of focus, which are going to typically be um, around where we do stools, trying to push people who might be kind of passive supporters of ours into more active support, um, people who maybe have never heard of us towards any level of support and so on, Um, and utilising it as a springboard for other local works where we've got campaigns going on um, using this as a way to to bring some energy and some freshness to those um that's kind of the overall goal in terms of where we are with this um we set out this this map over sort of I think the beginning of the year um we've got different representatives from different branches who are part of the working group um that's sort of um coordinating this centrally um, and branches are largely preparing kind of the logistics behind these so looking to uh, work out where they're going to put on um, events, how they're going to do leafleting, all that kind of thing. Um, the idea, I should say, for um, like what actually we do concretely um, is these kind of simultaneous public meetings, um, which will be on the day after the election. Um, so a kind of coordinated leaflet campaign to get people going to those and then these public meetings where we can chat to people about how we understand electoral politics and its um, fundamental limitations. Um, and then yeah being being able to push the people towards um, more active support and participation with what we're doing and our methods. Sean as Events Secretary on the Central Committee what advice would you give to people in terms of putting on these public meetings?
2: I will give some general advice but I will say I've been to a few branches already in my capacity as Events Secretary um, to kind of get more in depth with it uh, if you do if your branch does want that uh, please just drop me a message and we can work out a time. I will come along hopefully during your branch meeting, uh, and we can we can hash it out a little bit more. Uh, more more than happy to do that. Or even if you just want some brief advice, you can just message me uh, on comms at any time. Um, but so for the actual public meetings themselves, um, election day will be uh, a Thursday, uh, as it usually is. Uh, so results day would be a Friday. Uh, we would definitely encourage you to have your event on the Friday, uh, the kind of the freshest time after the uh, results have come out when it's still uh, strongly in people's minds. Venue wise, um, obviously consider things like accessibility and stuff like that, uh, but also consider ways that the venue can help you kind of facilitate conversation. Like if, you, if you're if you going to have like a venue with a stage and it's your branch sat on the chair. Uh, you know sat on a table up on the stage you know how well mm-hmm. will conversation flow between people who are there uh, attending the meeting yeah have things like that in mind um, obviously uh, a big part of the meetings is we want to we want to tell people who are interested so we want to talk to them we also do want to hear back from them uh, have have things ready and prepared to say uh, in the run-up, um, if you know, if everyone in the branch wants to give a go at like a little, uh, a little talk, but uh, do be prepared to just drop those uh, in favour of um, discussion uh, with uh, members uh, of your local public, uh, which would be much, much uh, more valuable, uh, if we're being totally honest, uh, because that's the thing that we don't have enough of. Everyone can go out and give a speech. People don't like to chat. So please, yeah, do whatever you can in these means to actually facilitate people getting involved and talking uh, as opposed to just uh, an hour-long lecture series.
0: Like just trying to view it as a facilitated discussion and what we've said in the guidance, and I think it's true, it's like that also allows that flexibility. For example, if you know, only two people turn up, it's a possibility. We hope that won't happen, but it, it is possible. Um, you know, then then a facilitate discussion is way more easy to to have as a backup option. Um, well, if, you know, 50 people come, then you've also got perhaps like a slightly different approach to how you manage it, but it's still something that you can scale up or scale down according to how many people turn out, uh, which might be something that, we don't necessarily know concretely in advance. We are going to try and have things like an event right for each event, so we can somewhat get an idea, but it, it's going to be slightly up in the
1: air.
2: Yeah, good ways to do that. But I would say, uh, as a as an overall, uh, if you put this event on and you get people to come to it, uh, well done. That's more than a lot of people can say, uh, and it's it's something that's solely lacking is that kind of um, direct uh public engagement and consultation. So yeah, don't don't feel bad if it is only a handful.
0: Totally. And like recognizing that part of the strategy is like getting our name out there, like getting people hearing about us, that that will be a success regardless of how many people actually turn out. Like the leafleting campaign matters just as much as as the meetings themselves. So um obviously we want people, but do not beat yourself up if if turnout is low.
2: Can you tell me about that
0: actually the, the leafleting campaign yeah, absolutely. So a leaf thing round isn't isn't too difficult to organise. Um, there's not a, a great deal of science to it, but a little bit of prep can go a long way to help it um, be as smooth as possible. Um, so first things first, it's good to get an understanding of the area that you're targeting. You should already have identified as a branch or a sub branch which area you're focusing on, um, like which wards or which kind of rough geographic area. Um, some ways that help you sort of concretize your understanding, um, use a map. There's plenty of good map software out there. Um, you, Google Maps has um, a good sort of uh, piece of software where you can like place markers and so on um, and like highlight different routes. So absolutely use that. Um, just like listing out the names of streets on a spreadsheet, um, work out where they are in relation to one another. That's another option. Um, and one that I'd really encourage is just like taking some time over the next few weeks before you leaflet, just to like walk the routes, um, walk around the area. I mean, it's good to get out there anyway, um, but like that way you can get a sense of, OK, this takes me about an hour. If we're leafleting, maybe kind of 1.5 to two times that amount of time um, gives you a sense of how long to allocate. Um, a good idea is also to find a rough estimate of how many houses you expect to leaflet um wards generally will have a sort of level of information on like council websites as to how many um households there are um so if you can get that information um to the working group via your rep then that is also really really welcome um work out a rota again doesn't need to be super complicated there's a template in the guidance that we've laid out um but just a simple spreadsheet that lists days times routes um it's useful to sort of number routes just so you've got uh like a record of of what's what but you can always just um list the route down as whatever streets you did um you might want to do kind of three four sessions over the space of a week or two um or you might just want to say right over the course of a day or half a day um we're just going to do as many routes as possible um if that's sort of it might depend on on how big your branch is if you've got three people in a sub branch, it might be better just to say, right, we're all for in a Sunday. Let's let's get it all out the way on a Sunday. Um if you've got a bigger branch of twenty people or so, you might be able to spread it out. Either way is absolutely fine. We're not door knocking. Um so the timings of it matter a lot less. Um obviously within reason, like don't don't leaflet people at 1 a.m or whatever. But beyond that, um you're pretty fine. Um in terms of anything else, it's obviously a fairly simple process, put a leaflet through a door. Um If you're worried about dogs, you can always bring a little a little pokey thing. But like, that's really not a massive worry. If it's raining, have something to keep the leaflets in so they don't all get sodden. It's worth keeping a plastic bag, um, in a backpack anyway, just in case. Um, one thing I'd really, really encourage is if you walk past someone, if they're coming out their door or coming into their house, if you walk past someone in the street give them a leaflet and try and have a conversation with them. As I've said, we're not there to door knock, but at the same time, wherever we can have conversations with people, it, again, generates that sense of buzz, which is what we're trying to do. We're trying to get our name out there. Um, But it also is way more likely that someone's going to come along if they have a nice slash interesting conversation with an actual person who's giving them a leaflet. Um, You know, the odds of them coming to the event increase so much. So take every opportunity you can to have conversations. It's not what we're trying to do first and foremost, but like whenever you can, please do. If you do get like a good response from someone verbally, um, take down their details, even if it's just like what house number it was. Cause if you ever are door knocking and um I increasingly think that will be something that we look to do, um, you know, it's worth knowing what house they're at so that you can door knock them again and say, Hey, like you know we're doing this campaign can i can i get your support or whatever um and indeed if you get like a handful of people who are saying yeah i'd like to come to that and you know where what house number they are feel free to door knock that handful of people um like a day or two before the event just to like really maximize the chances that they're going to come and it's absolutely worth your time doing that um last bit of advice i'd give is just if you're doing a block of flats start at the top um, it's easier physically um, and also in the off chance that you do have a negative reaction you ideally don't want to be walking past that door over and over again um, so it just means that you can sort of do the top floor do the the next floor and so on and so on so you don't have to repeat yourself um, that's pretty much it it's not as I say particularly complicated I think that more or less covers what people need to know about leafleting yeah
2: I totally agree yeah don't yeah don't don't miss opportunities don't go into it uh, unprepared uh if you do if you do sign on for leafleting uh wear sensible shoes um please do show up please don't please don't just cancel the last second unless you've got a really good reason really give this give this everything you've got uh because it, it can be it, it can be something
0: totally and like there there is just like a direct correlation between like how much uh work is being put in and getting people to turn out and like how many people will turn out. The reason we're doing like two different rounds of leafleting is like part of like the standard model of this campaign. Um, We're doing the first round, you know, beginning to mid April, um, where it's a few weeks out so people can kind of get a broad conception of the idea um, and then doing another sweep of the leaflets um, sort of in the week leading up to the event itself so that people are probably more likely to be like, oh no, I'm actually free on that day and I'm gonna come. Um, So it's that that multi-pronged approach um, there's an old um, sort of anecdote around like radio advertisement um, where like agents has worked out like the first time that people listen to a radio ad, they simply retain like no information whatsoever. The second time they hear it, um, they get like the broad idea. The third time they might get some details and the fourth time um, they'll actually like respond to it. Um, and that's why typically like like radio advertising agencies will play ads like 30 to 40 times a week, like at least four times a day for a month um, in order to like actually get like maximum number of people aware of what they're trying to to advertise. Um, It's obviously slightly distinct, but like it's, it gets a sense of like the kind of level of regularity um that we need to have in people's in people's minds. And it's like why we'll be doing like social media sides to this. It's why we'll be doing like we've got posters that will go out alongside the leaflets that will look to put up kind of in between the two leafleting rounds like the more prongs and like the more like kind of multimedia um efforts we can make to to get people aware of this happening uh the more likely it is that we'll have follow-through a few comrades have asked about uh like financing for the events um and our advice is broadly like um the leaflets will be covered centrally wherever possible though if your branches um, doing particularly well financially, uh, we might ask you to pitch in with those too. Um, when it comes to the events, generally we'd encourage branches to try and uh, work out the costs um, amongst themselves for the venue. Um, if you are not in a position to do that, um, please absolutely reach out to myself. Um, And we can work something out centrally, especially, of course, if you're in like a small sub branch or something and it's just not possible for you to work out the finances of an event of an event within your branch. um, That's totally fine. We don't want that to be a barrier. Um, But yeah, wherever possible, like do try and finance um, the venues for yourselves. Thank you very, very much for all that, team. Everyone who is going out, good luck. Uh, Do not get
2: too tombs away uh, if it doesn't go how you think it'll go
0: uh, this is our first big blast at it uh, just give it everything you've got yeah absolutely um, Lush thank you so much Sean for coming on good luck to everyone um, and yeah let us know if you need any support with your events with leaving um or with anything else and that more or less wraps up this CC broadcast thank you to RM for editing and the transcription team for transcribing See you in a fortnight.